Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. It is the spooky season, and part-time ghosts Graham McMillan and I are here to talk about the things currently haunting us. New York Comic Con, Todd McFarlane, the career of Roy Thomas, crossplay love, otaku, and punk, two comic series starring The Thing, a very dark corner of Star Wars fanfic, and of course, Sheds. We welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. Hello. Happy October. Indeed, happy October to you, my friend. A month that both of us love dearly because, you know, who doesn't love the spookiest month of the year? Who doesn't love the month where finally I can only fucking hope fall is going to start? I, Jeff, it's it's 87 degrees here today. No, are you serious? Yeah, for real. Oh, uh, no. It's, it's fucking horrible. Like, it's October. Allegedly, as we're recording this, it's the 1st of October, but still, it's October. Why is it doing me 87 degrees? Yeah, that's... What's the living shit? Indeed. Um, but also, it's the month for both of us birthdays. So, you know, hooray! Yes! Like, let, let's very much embrace and appreciate the month of October. Objectively, the best month of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that said, Graham, I feel like you should maybe uh, 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 perhaps update your uh, Amazon wish list. Perhaps. I mean, you know. <laughs> well, okay. So there, there's a. There, I was going to say there's a story beside the, behind this, and the story is honestly, I'm fucking lazy. But the the story I'm, I'm meaning to tell is uh, certain people in my life have been, I'm just going to use the word harassing me, <laughs> um, to, to update a wish list and like, to come up with a gift list um, for, at this point, like two months. Mm. Um, and I did, it's just I created a Google Doc, I didn't put it in Amazon. Uh, I, you know, that would have been nice if I, you know, thought to share it with anyone else. But honestly, I didn't think to share it with anyone else because it's, this sounds far more depressing than it's meant to. I didn't think anyone would be interested. Oh, what are you talking about? Graham right, McMillan. It's meant, it's, like I said, it sounds far more depressing than it's meant to. Like, I, I just don't, I don't think about that sort of shit. Like, I genuinely don't. I, that's just not. You don't, you don't think about people getting you stuff? I don't, yeah. I don't think about, like, the idea that, for example, uh, you may or may not know this. Uh, Chloe's birthday is like three days before mine. Uh, oh, I didn't know it was before. So wait, yeah, does yeah. that mean that it's so tomorrow? It's tomorrow. Yes, oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, and and so, honestly, like my brain's been on. Okay, get okay, Chloe gifts. And sure. The ideas are like I had a birthday. Mm-hmm. No, like not genuinely not in my brain. Mm. So you know, Chloe's like, you, "What do you fucking want?" Right. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I'm not being sarcastic or like coy <laughs> like genuinely mean like i have no idea what you're talking about you're the one getting the present <sighs> like real <laughs> um so i i should i should work on that mm-hmm. uh because yeah it's it's uh it's been a point of contention shall we say yes graham yes as someone yeah. who has gotten you presents for several years now i would hope that you would think that maybe i, I might I, be getting I never one. i never think about that i never think about that 
I'm sorry. It does. It does mean that I'm terrible. But I never, genuinely, never think about it. Mm. Chloe just wandered into the room, and Chloe would tell you that um, I am. I like. There has been a lot of nagging to get a wish list. Mm-hmm. I, I am telling Jeff that. Um, Jeff, Jeff is asking why I've not updated my Amazon wish list. Bear in mind, you are being recorded, so anything you say will be, and um, take down and use evidence against you. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, no, yeah, I've been screaming at him for like months. I don't know if the microphone picked oh, it up. Oh, it picked it up. Okay. It picked it up, and I'm just sagely nodding my head. Like yeah, months, Graham. Months. Yeah, you, yeah fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I like the idea that this is going to be the closest thing that we're going to get for a present for you, which is uh, us nagging you. Both, which is kind of presents for us, really. So I mean, it's the gift that keeps giving. Let's be <laughs> who who it keeps giving to? I don't know, but it's the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, October. It's the best month. It's the it's the month that has that has everyone's. Yeah, it, <laughs> Chloe, as they're leaving, just point to themselves as in like, yeah, hey, it's also my birthday. So yeah, we've. We've discussed that. We have discussed that. Already. Yeah, don't that I? was that was brought up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I don't know if you heard the the dancing that was just happening. Oh, <laughs> I they did. Left. I yeah, did not. They hear. went ooh, ooh and um, yeah. Oh, oh, I did hear. I did hear that noise, but it did not quite did differentiate out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'm, no. yes. Well, okay, so so Graham McMillan, just I, you know, here's a great idea. Like tomorrow, I'll post this on the second. Why don't you just run down that list for me and the listeners, in case the listeners also want to get you something? Uh, no. Ah, <laughs> he knew it. I will. I will do you a deal. I will actually update my Amazon wish list. Okay, please. I will. That would be wonderful. Um, yeah, I. That's. I'm not good. No. Not... <laughs> Without a list of like what's up right now. Ah, that's great. Uh, in, in in part because I also don't know what if anything is being bought off it. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so, like you know, that also seems counterintuitive. Oh. Anyway. Sure. Anyway, I know. Mm-hmm. What do you want for your birthday? This is like the weirdest opening to a podcast, right? Sorry. Absolutely. What do you want for your birthday? Uh, you know. I'm not, I'm not quite sure, honestly, because it's it's one of those things where uh, the stuff that I want is either like generally just like wildly overpriced or just deeply, deeply, you know, trivial. I suppose. Well, now I'm super fucking curious. Well, so two years ago, in the midst of the pandemic, I bought a Nintendo Switch, and it has afforded me hundreds and hundreds of hours of great fun. I think I've totally fucked up the joystick, and because I bought a Switch Lite, um, it's just going to be a huge pain in the ass. Like, I'd had problems with it before and, uh, and managed to fix it on my own. But apparently sending it to Nintendo can just be like a total fucking nightmare. So part of me is like, oh, yeah, maybe Nintendo Switch. But please do not get that because, um, you know. Then then what is Edie going to get you? Well, yeah, exactly. I don't know if Edie would give me the Nintendo Switch, to be honest. that what's not, Maybe she would if she knew I really wanted it, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, um, you know, Amazon 
gift cards are always good because there's always like dumb shit. In fact, I was kind of relieved today being the first of the month and it being a podcast. I sat down and um, updated what I'd read for the month of September. Uh, and I think I had told you I had felt like the month had kind of fallen a little fallow. And uh, yeah. thank God it really picked up like the last 10 days or so. I was like, oh, this is great. You know, and so, but there's, so there's any number of like stupid things that I could buy via the power of, of the Amazon gift card, especially, especially now, I think, cause I'm assuming comiXology shit like fully counts toward it since, since Amazon's destroyed just about everything about comiXology. I'm sure that, you know, like some sort of horrible tinny conqueror seal like you can now spend amazon bucks directly on it um there's this gorgeous uh well it looks gorgeous i haven't seen it out in the wild so i don't know for sure but you know fanagraphics is releasing a um the first 50 issues of love and rockets in sort of like fact bound facsimile editions in a slip case oh, that's lovely yeah, and so that I'm super excited about that, but I actually already pre-ordered it for Comics Experience. So, you know, so somewhere in the trifecta of those three things, and those are only the things that are kind of generally doable, you know, like man, David Brothers like I think it was like 6 years ago now bought himself a digital e-reader from Japan with the entire fist of the north star installed on it and holy shit if i coveted that thing and that thing is a not cheap when it was on the market and now that it's on the aftermarket oh ho, 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 you I can just say that about just, it that is not something like an an easily attainable goal yeah yeah exactly exactly so there's weird stuff like that you know but I mean that's the and and then things get scale up because as you know the weird thing about being a homeowner is like suddenly like it's just like leveling up as far as materialism goes like you're like I just like today I was literally like man what I would give for a good shed you know what I mean and just good grief Graham I cannot even tell you how ridiculously expensive sheds are because of okay. course first yeah. of all. Like I, I understand. Yes. Secondly, and now at the risk of turning this into Wait What Shed edition, <laughs> what's a good shed? Uh, uh, well, what's the definition of good shed. You know, that's a good question for me because we have a very small shed in the backyard, and first off, it's got. I these... didn't even know you had a shed in the backyard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You guys should come down. You should come down and see. I mean, the last time I was in the Bay Area was. Oh shit! I honestly couldn't tell you six or seven years ago. I was least. about to say I want to say it was like 2017 or something like that, but maybe I think it was before that. But I could yeah, be wrong. Probably no. I think you're probably right, depending on because I, I, you know, I'm like yeah, yeah. No, you were there this year for that con, and but no, that was even longer ago. Anywho, so I've got a shed, and it the it's got these horrific aluminum sliding doors that just go right off the hinge and and are horrible and make scratching squeeing noises every time you open them up horrific so i mean in a perfect world it'd be like a nice little i don't know eight by ten shed with like swinging wooden doors and it would have like a couple of windows in it you know um 
to to both allow for does, ventilation does it have, like, a and wood light. Finish? Uh, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't need to. Although it does seem, it does seem like uh, the I ones mean, that I've been you're, looking you're at. You're saying you're saying perfect world, right? So you're thinking of your your dream shed. Well, that's true. God, I don't know. You know, the, the, like once you start going in that direction, like because we were walking this morning and we saw somebody that had like this shed that almost looked like a greenhouse that they had put like corrugated sheet metal around the sides of. So it was like transparent, but also like shiny and metallic and had a lot of light in it. Um, and seemed, you know, seemed like a good size. And that's, that seemed pretty exciting. Cause it was kind of like, Ooh, they could greenhouse it or they could just do shed like things with it. You know what I mean? And I guess those shed like things really are, storing the it's, and that's it we don't really have a lot of tools but we've got well, enough to what, wear what a good size shed, the shed I guess. well i see that's it i find i find myself fixated on the shed for the idea of like being able to safely store stuff like for example you know we've got a table th- uh, that we um eat breakfast or meals on outside uh, and it's got a very good, strong sun umbrella that we take down half the time and like stuff like that. And, you know, there's a couple of extra spare garbage cans filled with things. Ideally, it would be, boy, I mean, you know, dreaming big, having something that would have like a weed whacker, uh, you know, like have like an actual shelf where I could like hang tools on, you know. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, you know, dream Dream big, you know, but yes. Why, Graham, do you have shed dreams? Are you, did you ask because you were shed simpatico? Or... I, no, I'm, I, I'll be honest, I'm not shed simpatico, but uh, whenever I do find myself in like a nursery or a garden center or something similar to that, I always find myself curiously drawn to the sheds. Mm-hmm. There's something about the sheds uh, that suggests. Uh, and this, for some reason, I think of this as a really British thing, like a sanctuary, even within your own house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate it on that level. Right. Right. Well, and I think there is something. There. I mean, what one of the things that is pretty great about this house is I, I've got. Finally, after years and years, I've got my own office. Like, I'm recording this in the office where... And that's another thing I would love. Man, a really good, strong bookshelf. Like, I've got, like, a very rinky-dink bookshelf, which is fine. But if I could, like, scale up and just get more of my... Because a lot of my stuff is in... A lot of my books are in storage in the garage. And I find myself being like, oh, man. Like, the other day, I was like, boy, I'd love to reread that section of Kirby's fourth world again. And I'm like, I know I've got that mega omnibus tucked away, you know, in, in a bin out in the garage, but it'd be nice to have that accessible on the shelf, which is ironic. Cause I actually have all four of the individually released omnibi there on my shelf. I just didn't want to be arsed with like, yeah, you're like, kind of... but that's not what I'm looking for. Exactly. I want to have the satisfaction of pulling out the, Er volume, so. <laughs> Graham McMillan, I gotta tell you. Well, thank you for letting me indulge my shed fantasies, because I have to say, weirdly, as excited as I was to, to 
talk with you and have this podcast. I was feeling kind of like... feeling kind of down coming up to it. I was I oh, was no. feeling a little. Tell tell me why. I have no idea. I was trying to, to I was trying to nail it down myself. It was just uh just October melancholy, I guess. You know. Like, no, no. Uh, that 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 makes me more than a little sad. Oh, well, you know, I mean, it, it, these things happen. It's not a it's not a horrible thing, you know. I just found myself being like, ah. I mean, like I said, had read a lot of um really decent comics and um had actually managed to fall within my comics budget for September, which is great because I was sure I had blown right through it. And um and I was like, yeah, boy, I'll be able to tell Graham McMillan all about the joys of reading old Conan comics. And then, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe... The, then you maybe... went, oh, old Conan comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No wonder why I got depressed. I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? Oh, uh. no. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Snoring more like, right? <laughs> and just, then that was, that was the end. But uh, What's funny is, like, I've not felt the October melancholy, but I... You're at Comic-Cons and, like... Uh, five, four days or something. Right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and I have been prepping for that because obviously, like, I'm working it. But are like, you we're flying out this... on your birthday? No, we're recording this on the Saturday, right? We're recording right. this on October first, whatnot. Yeah, I'm flying out on the Tuesday. I'm flying out on October fourth. Oh, oh, oh! So right, you're... the show doesn't start until the sixth. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm flying out on the fourth because, like, I actually have things scheduled to do. On the evening of the 4th, but also on the 5th. And wow. then the show starts at 6. Wow. Okay. But my sense of time is really screwed up mm-hmm. because because of my job. Like yesterday, I did an interview in support of an announcement that's going to be made a week today. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so like my sense of time is genuinely screwed up. And I was like, yeah, when was the last time I talked to Jeff? Oh, it was a week ago. no it didn't it did not yeah it's totally true boy it was a hell of a week generally Um, because it has just been like a very odd like period uh you know and 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 the show i'm like you know obviously we're we're you know almost a week away from from new york comic-con but i've talked to a number of people who seem i think i said before san diego that a lot of people seem surprised by san diego Mm mm-hmm that's again true with hmm. New York. And again, these are not things that someone just suggested the last minute, let's do. Right. You know, like these have been on the calendar for months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And multiple people, creators, publishers, PR people, <laughs> seem genuinely surprised that there's a convention in four days. Mm. And like there's lots of last minute things happening. Well, uh, and I have a theory. I have a theory. Yeah, please share the theory. And, and I apologize if this was a theory that we shared uh, back when you mentioned the similar thing happened at San Diego. But I do think that because of the pandemic and because there were a lot of us who sort of moved to fully working remotely um, during that period of time, the transition back to... Um, working meaning you have to be in a particular place at a particular time is 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 still kind of weirdly disorienting. And I'm saying that, of course, as somebody who has been going back into the office three days a week for the, you know, 
I don't know, last four months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's still, honestly, it still feels a little weird. Like I had a couple of times this week where I'm like, well, basically I had, I had a crazy ass like 14 hour day or something where I started work at 7 a.m. And because of that, I did not go into the office and then I didn't wrap up. Well, in theory, I wrapped up around four or five, but then crap keep kept happening kept until happening. nine or 10 night at night. And I, and, and so, and then. I ended up staying at home for a few more days. And then Friday, yesterday, I was like, okay, well, this is my regular going to the office day. And it just felt so um, weird. And and I think especially kind of where work is involved, kind of weirdly wrong, I guess. So I really do think that for a lot of people, having a few years of... Cause I, I, I think although although going to cons is can be exciting and it's delightful to see people in person again, it's it's also it's also just uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like I'm just maybe there are those people who it, are like It's very uncomfortable and also like it's funny that you say that because cons have been work for me for years now. Right. Right. Like a convention is is an undertaking when you work it right because not only are you literally like you're you're not at home so you don't even get to like go home at the end of the day but you you're just on yeah like if you're working a con you genuinely don't know when your day's going to end like Mm -hmm. you actually don't you don't really know when your day's going to start either because shit can happen last minute Mm -hmm. um it sounds ridiculous but i remember at San Diego this year, Alan Grant died in the first day of San Diego. Oh, shit. Um, and I remember, like, seeing that, like, when I woke up at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning and being like, I guess I'm writing an obituary now. Right. Because if I don't do it now, I'm not going to get to do it the rest of the day because the rest of the day is a convention. You know? Yeah. Um, and, and then you don't know, you literally don't know when the day's going to end. Right. Because you have a schedule. And, like, I have a schedule for all of New York Comic Con. Mm-hmm. But I've already been told by my editors, like, there's probably going to be stuff added to that schedule. Oh, We'll know basically on the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So it's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to finish at 8.45 or maybe not. Well, yeah. It never never actually finishes because you go home and write as well. Well, exactly. Exactly. I always remember, you know, you know, during at least during your IO9 years and I guess after, um, there was always one day of San Diego Comic-Con where you you all but worked the night through. I remember you telling stories where you're like, yeah, I was writing and writing and writing and all these parties were happening around I, me. And... I, I I have done that at almost every San Diego I've been to. Yeah. At least once, at least one time during each show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the one you remember is the one where I was working for Time. Mm, uh, yeah. And Time had booked a lot of us into the same room to mm. save money mm-hmm. uh, and I had to work late and so I was like I'm just going to work in the lobby that's what I was thinking of yeah uh, and there was a party happening in the lobby because it's San Diego mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so I worked while the party was going on uh, and then like I worked after the party finished <laughs> right and like I just kept working because you, you do you if you don't keep up then you're behind which right. is obvious but like gets to be dramatic when your next day will have an equal workload. 
yeah. on top. Right. You know, it's like I feel overwhelmed now, but if I don't take care of this, then I will feel twice as overwhelmed tomorrow. Well, now, and my understanding is, and this is actually a very hard thing to say to you because you are so naturally self-effacing, but my understanding is you're actually one of the faster writers, right? I mean, would you say that that's true? Or it, I mean, that's, that that's probably world? true. I no, think that's... so as well. I think so as well. Like I've, you know, seen you, seen your output, knowing how well you write without needing um, drafting oh, sure, unless sure. specifically requested. Sorry, again, sounds too much no, like no, I'm complimenting you. But I am saying like... <laughs> sounds I, like I'm complimenting you. I love that. I, as, as, as someone who sees you working as much as you do and knowing essentially how generally efficient you are at it, I can only imagine that other people working the con are either not taking on as much or and are as e equally as overworked or are, are can get really, really heavily in the weeds and freaked out. It, it's, it's, uh, it's both. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it can, it literally comes down to, um, it comes down to the individual, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because you get people who are smart enough to know their limits, mm -hmm. right? And will literally be like, nah, yeah, no. I like I can do X and no more. Mm -hmm. And you get people who – and it tends to be people who haven't done conventions mm -hmm. or haven't done any conventions. And they're like, no, I'll just keep saying yes to things because I'm sure I'll be fine. Right. And then like kind of lose themselves. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, you know, I, I have to say one of the reasons why I think there's sort of a strange melancholy or perhaps it's associated with my strange melancholy is I found myself thinking of uh, Tom Spurgeon today. And um, one of the things that I remember about Spurgeon's, uh, you know, um, in, incredibly still, I don't know what the right word is for it, um, uh, influential, important, essential uh, work at the Comics Reporter is he would usually do a little pre-San Diego Comic-Con article where he would provide con attendance tips. Yeah. Um, not exactly why I was thinking of him, actually, but it, I think of it now. I'm And I'm just kind of like, I'm like... Dude, do you have do you have con attendance tips? Oh, first off, did you ever follow? Did you ever find any of his tips like absolutely instrumental? Were you the type of person that would go and change your socks halfway through the day and be like, No, 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 ah. no, 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 not at all. Of course not. I, <laughs> of course I, like, not. Of course not. That that that's that's not my thing at all. Um, do I have any tips? I, my tips are like all weird. Like my tips are things like make sure you have mints with you. Oh, that's um, a good tip. That's not make weird. sure you. Sure I've got a great water. weird content for you when you're done. Uh, make sure you have water. Uh huh. Uh, try and get outside and see the sun shine. <laughs> like at at some point. Yeah, that's actually that's a good one. Uh, because otherwise you will go insane. Mm -hmm. And that's again very easy to do when you're getting overworked. Right. Or or like even if you're attending as a fan, to be fair, like mm -hmm. you've got to remember to check in with reality. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I think I've, and I think I've spoken about this before in here. Like, I just like surrender to the experience. Mm -hmm. 
I and I really do. I'm like, okay, I'm like, you know, I'm on the plane to a convention. Normal rules have been suspended. Right. Like shit is going to happen. Weird shit is going to happen, and you just work out how to deal with it in that moment. Hmm. You know, um, and that's all. That's always served me better than anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, just the, just accepting that, like, this is going to be weird, right. and don't pretend that it's normal. Right. Which I think does serve you well, considering the number of times you've shown up and found out that, for example, you didn't have a hotel room. You know? Yeah, right. Yeah. Or no, but also like it is one of those things where uh, you think you're going into a panel and you find out that you can't like the lines too long, but then you run into like a publicist who you once did a favor for, and they're like, "No, I'll sneak you in through the back way." Mm-hmm. And suddenly, like your your net's just like you're going in with the celebrities, right? You know, right. like and and shit like that happens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're just like, okay, you know, again try and stay focused on the important thing. Right. You know, like, oh, that's so-and-so right next to me. That's kind of fucking wacky. However, I also need to find a seat and just start reporting on this as soon as I get in. Right. You know, like, and, and so, you know, stuff like that happens. Or, um, and like, I remember you and I going to a party. I can't remember whose party it was, but I remember you ran into Brubaker, Ed Brubaker there. Mm-hmm. And he was there with, was it Zoe Bell? Am I misremembering? It was no, no, it was Zoe Bell. Yeah, um, and like stuff like that happens as well. Yeah, where it's like someone you know in some context, and all of a sudden they're in a different context. Right, and like this other context is weird. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. kind of like, you know, keep your head. Like I ran into uh, a former editor of mine at San Diego this year, mm-hmm. but I ran into them at the What We Do in the Shadows party. <laughs> That's funny. So it's right. like I'm having a conversation with like my old editor being like, hey, how are you doing? How's your kids? You know, how's right. everything? Like, how's life? How's real life? Right. And, like Matt Berry is right behind us. Right, right. Which is Matt Berry. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it's just this thing where you just, or at least I just have to go, uh-huh. <laughs> so weird shit's happening. Or you work you're working all night because you have to hit the deadline and there's a party going on around you and you can't you can't pay attention to the party because you have to hit the deadline right or right. or you show up to you know to a convention and you've been told like oh you're gonna have a room paid for by the outlet and they're they then go we meant to tell you that the room is first of all going in your credit card and we'll pay you back afterwards <sighs> or there's no room or right. you're sharing a room with seven other people none of whom you've met before right Right. You know, all of which have happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just are like, okay, fine. What's going to happen? I mm-hmm. remember in New York, I was going to say a few years ago, but they're all a few years ago now. But um, 2018, 2017? Right. Um, where I just got like deathly sick, like uh, two days into it. Mm. And like was really sick. Mm-hmm. But had to keep going because oh. I had, I literally had things to do, mm. and so I was literally you know in all the panels, my nose streaming. Like, oh my god! And then going back and writing everything up, and just the entire time thinking, I kind of just want to crawl into bed. What? Kind of just want to be sick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. But again, you you just you say yes to the experience, and you see what happens. Which is funny because I think I only ever do that at conventions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I think in almost every other, like in every other aspect of my life, I'm like, nope, 
No, thank you. No, yeah, thank you, please. Not my plan. So <laughs> not doing it. Uh, but like I mentioned, I, I really am like I'm Sure. Okay. Like, so, this is fucking weird, but let's just go for it. Speaking of fucking weird, I do want to say, because, of course, Graham, your your memory is is both somehow accurate, but just like I'm yourself, incorrect. sort of modest and understated. For the listeners who want to know, I want to, because I want to make it clear, because I think that this adds to the surrealism that sort of Graham is talking about. That con uh, that he and I were at where I had been fortunate enough to actually like sleep on the floor of the hotel room. Uh, I might have even had a cot, I think, um, for I and I and did some reporting and covered some some panels for them. And and meanwhile, was trying to run around and and sell sell myself. Um, And it was really super exciting. I had bumped into Ed Brubaker and Zoe Bell in the hallways passing from the pro lounge to somewhere else. And, of course, I was delighted to see Ed, knew him from from his days shopping at Comics Experience, and and consider him, uh, I guess, a fond acquaintance in the comics world. You know what I mean? And so greeted him he introduced me to zoe bell i was in one of those just like i was on i made them both laugh a lot um and then they they you know we all sort of hugged and they ran off in their direction and i ran off to my panel so the reason why i mention this is the to me the very surreal surrealism is you and i were at a party and zoe bell came out of the bathroom and remembered me gave me a hug on the kiss on the cheek, said that Brubaker was there and invited us to follow her. So you and I followed behind a dancing Zoe Bell because the music was kind of blasting and ooh-la-line and stuff like that. And then we ended up sitting at the table with Ed Brubaker, who, ah, shit, I wish I could remember, he and Zoe Bell and someone else were then going to go to somebody's mansion. God help me, I don't, I, you know, it's it, it's only because they, they passed recently that I was like, yeah, it was like Coolio or something. You know, like it was, it was, it was somebody who was kind of like a, hip-hop star turned actor and he was going to be at partying at that mansion after this particular party that we were at so listeners if you can imagine graham and i who are not necessarily um at least anymore of course graham had his heyday sort of the the party going types being led sort of semi-conga line through a party by by a sort of cheerily um happy in her element dancing zoe bell that i think adds more to the surrealism than you being like yeah you bumped into brubaker at a party i'm like zoe really bell danced us to the table i don't remember any of that really? like, what i remember is wow. you and brubaker in like not even like deep conversation but like it was the sort of party where like if you wanted to talk to someone you basically had to be like you know sitting on their shoulder yeah yeah uh, and Zoe Bell being there, and me just being like, "This is fucking surreal." That's all. That's what I remember. Like I remember, you know, an instant mm-hmm. of you and Brubaker being like in close proximity with with Zoe Bell, and like having like being thrilled with the, all of you being thrilled with each other's company. Right. 
and me just being like, I don't fucking know what's happening here. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, like, Brubaker was there with Zoe Bell because they were doing, like, a web series or something? That's right. That's right. I wanted, I, uh, I, I was going to say, yeah, Killing Eve, which, of course, is yeah. no. Um, but, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, God, what was it called? It really was one of those, um... Because it was like it was like one of Angel of Death is what it was called. That's it exactly. Angel of Death up, and Sony that, TV that also, had paid for yeah, it or something. That yeah, just dated it for me because it was two thousand nine. There you go. Yeah, exactly. so it would have been. I guess it would have been two thousand eight. I think so. I think so because it was just a few months away from coming out. I thought it was actually in the process of like, oh, it's a ways down the way because of the way that he was sort of like, yeah, we're doing this thing, and then it was like, no, it's it's like out. So, um, yeah, weird weirdnesses abound. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There, there you go. But no, but again, like that's that is kind of how conventions work, right? I, I should say, like that's how conventions work if you work them, right? Right. Oh, for One sure. Of the things. So, so I'm I'm staff of Pop First now, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Pop First is owned by Repop, mm-hmm. um, which is the organizer of New York Comic Con. It's the organizer of C2E2 and Emerald City, like two of the, the other shows I've gone to this year. Yeah. And as staff, I have a staff badge at these shows. Mm-hmm. Right? And staff badge means basically you get to go, you get to take the shortcuts behind the scenes. Yeah, so which is great sports, for you. Right? Which, wow. is, which is like genuinely... Like, I cannot tell you what it meant to be able to go in the staff entrance of Emerald City and not to wait in those lines, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but also when you have to get from one end of a convention center to the other and you can actually take the back passages. Yeah. It's 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 a game changer. It genuinely is. Um, but the, the – it's not even the flip side, but, like, another thing that comes with that is you get to see how hard all the organizers are working in a way that, like, I – uh, intellectually knew but didn't understand before, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, like, you know, the amount of work that goes into these shows is insane. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's genuinely staggering mm-hmm. and never ends. Well, see, that's it. Like, it's... For, for the entire show. Mm-hmm. Just, it's not as if, like, people set stuff up and then take it off. No, exactly. Right? It's, it's almost like being at an airport or something. Like, you know, you've got, you've got your air traffic controllers, you've got people who are moving people and coordinating people, and then you've got the people who are actually moving the things that go with the people, and it is, it's just a, it's just this, uh, and then of course all the shit that goes wrong during it, it is. Yeah, because, because shit does go wrong during mm-hmm. these things, right? Like, and it always does, and shit goes wrong in like, you know, big ways and small ways. Because sometimes right. it could be something as small as, like, you know, someone left a bag and now they're going to ask if anyone can find the bag. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, a big thing that – but I can't think of anything big that's happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, like, uh, you know, in theory, I don't know, someone could get robbed or – Right, or someone like has someone's... a heart attack in the middle yeah, of a panel right? or something, yeah. Um, and, like, there are, there are contingencies for all that shit. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. – there are also people monitoring that that stuff has not happened for the entire show as well. Right. You know, there are like, there are, the work continues for the entire show, which again, I intellectually knew because of course it does. When you stop and think about it for like a second, you're like, well, it has to. Right. But you don't actually think about it when you're at a show. 
Mm-hmm. Right? You're like, you know, oh boy, everyone set up their booths. And then there's the people who are working at the booths. And then at the end of it, everyone's going to break down the booths. Right. And you don't think beyond that. But, you know, seeing what goes on behind the scenes, it's staggering. It's dizzying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is just, when you're working at one of these shows, you you find yourself just working. Yeah. Like, I've had multiple conversations with people who are like, it's got to be great to, you know. And there, it's always about San Diego and New York. Right, but it's got to be great to go because you don't have to pay and you get to see all the celebrities. And <laughs> on one hand, that's true, but on the other hand, like you're always working. Also, it's sort of a rule of thumb of like you're never going to get to see the celebrities you want to see. You're never going to get to see the panels you want to see. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's very rare that the panels you want to see and the panels that people want to read about are the same panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you'll be covering the ones that people want to read about, and you'll miss the things that you want to see. Yeah. Um, or well, you... that's that's you at the up there end of the spectrum. I mean, down like I said, I one of the things I remember during San Diego Comic Con was I was like, oh yeah, I'll help Io Nine out, which meant that I kind of got the panels like almost nobody wanted to cover. So it was like, oh great, I'm doing like the the Image 25 year anniversary panel or like some other sure, shit. Sure, but again, where it was but again, just... people want to read that. And no, 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 which is why we're doing no, the articles on them. But, but sure. that's what I'm saying. But, yeah. but like, it's not something you necessarily would have gone to, right? No, exactly. Um, and, you know, I'm really, like, I'm genuinely, like, I do not want to pretend that I'm complaining. Uh, a, I love my job. I genuinely do. And B, uh, I do get to see a lot of panels I want to see. Mm-hmm. Or in many cases, I get to see a lot of panels where I don't, I'm sort of agnostic about it, and then I end up enjoying after the fact. Right. Like, if you told me before San Diego that the Todd McFarlane panel would have been as wild as it was, mm-hmm. I would eat you. I remember going into that being like, oh, fuck. But then I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. This is right. like the most absolutely nuts thing ever. Yeah. Um, I got to see, as absolutely weird as it was, I did Hall H for all of Saturday's San Diego Comic Con this year. God, which is just um, amazing. Which was which was genuinely nuts. Like, yeah, it was it was, and I want to say it was genuinely nuts. I don't just mean like, oh, I got to see all the celebrities, and I got to see like you know the Marvel Studios thing, which is a, a spectacle, like genuinely yeah. a spectacle. As yeah. much as you know, as an individual, I'm like, I don't know how much I'm digging Marvel Universe, uh, Marvel Studios stuff, right? Uh, like, the, the panels they do are, are, you know, you get people coming out, like, in their high evolutionary garb doing a speech. Right. And then you get, like, you know, a fucking astounding musical performance ahead of Black Panther. You right. know, and that, like, that stuff is just, you know, wow, I'm here for this. This is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm very aware of how lucky I am and very aware of, of how many people would, would want to be in the, literally in the seat I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do miss the things... You do miss things that you want to see as well. Right. Right. Like I was looking at the New York schedule and I was like, oh, I, you know, I'd love to go to panel X. Mm-hmm. And then I see that like I'm doing panel Y like five minutes before it. Right. And right. Like, and there's well, just, there's okay. no way. Yeah. 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 Like, I, okay. I, that's, that's just, again, that's the job. Right. You, you go to one of these shows and you're working and you just accept that like you're there for your job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, everything else, everything else, um, you know, realistically, like a reasonable sleep pattern or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your own sense of priorities or whatever is on hold for the period that you're there. Right. And that's just that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? um, 
so it's it's yeah i'm i'm looking like i am looking forward to new york comic con if nothing else i like going to new york i -hmm. haven't been there in three years i guess Mm -hmm. um but also there are some fun things being announced i already know about you know um one of which i feel that you and i are going to be talking about like in a a few episodes time wow um no, no, not because it's like the biggest news at all, but because, uh, like I said, I did an interview yesterday about one of these announcements, and Chloe was making fun of me because I was told something that I personally am such a fan of that apparently I gasped. <laughs> like, coffee. <laughs> and Chloe was like, do you know you actually gasped? And, like, I knew exactly what part it would have been. Because I remember actually having that, like, fanish moment of being like, I fucking love that idea. That's great. You know, like, I just love that idea. That's something that I personally love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I'm like, you know, we'll talk about it. It's not because it's, you know, it's, you know, it's not, I don't know, Dark Crisis 2 or, or you know, a shocking thing like that. It's not, you know, Marigold is coming to the Marvel Universe, but this time he's a brunette. Nothing like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, he's balls instead, Jeff. Yeah. Um, Yay! It's that, he, uh, it's that it's something that I would be a fan of, and I am a fan of, if that makes sense. It's something that, like, the announcement itself made me happy. Hearing more about it made me happier. That's delightful. I can't wait until you we get to that point that you can actually disclose what it is, and then you could be like, this is it. This is the thing. Hopefully yeah, no, no, uh, so it won't be the next episode, because that's the draw, it'll be the episode after that, but mm-hmm. ask me what I gasped at when I did the interview, and I'll tell you. Okay. That sounds fabulous. Um, so yeah, again, it's one of those things where like people get mad, because they're like, he's teasing, but it's, like, again, it's an announcement that's not happening until a week today. Well, you know, I have to say, that is one thing where, like, last year, because everything was so topsy-turvy for you, you really did get stripped of your Time Lord uh, powers, you know, like, I, yeah, but they're back. They're back, baby. The whole, like, what day is it? Was this last week? Oh, I found out a thing that I'm finding out about in three weeks. I'll be able to tell you about it in six weeks, but that's six (laughs) weeks by the time this comes out, not six weeks that we're recording. Yeah. It's like, it's five weeks, but it's actually two episodes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Uh, <laughs> again, it, I don't want anyone to think like it's a big thing. It's actually not. It's actually a really small thing. It's just something that made me happy, you know, which is a big thing to me. <laughs> but you know, to to the vast majority of people listening to this podcast will be like, "Yes, yeah, so fucking what?" I mean, sure, but considering we buttered them up with like ten minutes of shed talk, I'm sure they're like, "Please." Give me something. So when you're, okay. So when you're in town later this month, because that's mm-hmm. another thing that makes us the best month ever. Whatnot. Jess coming to Portland for the ah. first time again in like three years. I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah, um, I am too. When you're, because you're flying up, right? Yes. Or are you driving? No, no, uh, no. I'm flying. When you come in from the airport, mm-hmm. uh, you will go past. I can't remember the shed. There's, there's like a shed outlet. Oh. That you'll come past, man. And I can't remember what it's called, but there is an. Uh, it's, it's uh, on the side of the 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 highway um and you'll get to see like it just looks like a, a parking lot full of sheds oh that's exciting <laughs> and i'm like jeff you're gonna see all the sheds you're gonna see all the sheds mm. 
Mm, all the sheds. Very, very exciting, I have to say. And then the last thing I'm going to say before we can get onto like proper comics talk is when you're here, I have to tell you, the 10-year-old is very excited that they're going to finally get to meet you. Oh, I'm glad. Uh, and uh, yesterday or the day before, I think it was yesterday, told me that they're actually really unhappy. Do you want to know why they're unhappy about your visit? Oh, no. Because it's the cutest thing ever. Okay, why? Because they have a Steam subscription. Yes. But Broforce is no longer available on the Steam subscription. No! And they were really unhappy because they wanted to basically... He wanted to practice playing Broforce so he could talk Broforce with you. Oh, man. You know what you're going to find really amazing is I actually have spent some time trying to figure out if and how we were going to play Broforce together when I was up well, there. He, well, so. he can't. Yeah. He can't because it's no longer available on Steam. Dang. However, the fact that you play a Switch is all he needs to know. Ah. Uh, because he also, he, he loves his Switch dearly. Oh, he does? Oh. Yeah, he, 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 he got a Switch for, for Christmas last year. Oh, he did? Oh, that's so cool. And, and so, yeah, you, mm. you can bond over that. But, Dude, bond over but, it. I think but, I'll spend let, three bucks buying Broforce, and then he and I can play head-to-head on the Switch. Let me tell you, this is not a joke. He is so excited that you're here. Uh-huh. Because you're my best friend, mm-hmm. but... You play video games. <laughs> and it's that thought that, like, means the world to him. Oh, he's like, man. He's like, this is amazing. I can talk video games with them. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he is thrilled. He was so unhappy that he couldn't, like, practice. Because he wants to genuinely practice Broforce. Yeah. To be, like, up to date with you. No, I get it, because I haven't played in a while. You know, just tell Gavin that I'm totally also out of shape, and that we'll have to we'll have to practice together. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just he's he's genuinely excited. Oh, that's super sweet. I'm so glad because I'm also looking forward to talking video games and Bro Force with him. So I in mean... the, yeah, well, I'm, I'm gonna tell you. So <laughs> yes, this reflects poorly on you, I think, but it's also <laughs> proof that like Chloe has your number. Okay. Oh, shit. He goes, is Jeff, he calls you Uncle Jeff. Is Mm -hmm. Uncle Jeff going to um, be able to talk video games with me? And Chloe says, you know what? I think he's just going to get really, really high and he's just going to talk video games with you. (laughs) I think I think chances are good. I think chances are good. Oh my god! Yeah, have my went, number, indeed. Went, what does get high mean? <laughs> <laughs> because of course he did. He's <laughs> it means he's going to smoke a lot of weed. Oh, and he was upset at the prospect that you might be smoking in the house. Like, oh that was, yeah. yeah. And Chloe was like, "No, he's going to smoke somewhere else and then come over." Yes, and that was fine. Oh, good. Thank God. Oh, my goodness. Such a complicated 
uh, uh, set of restrictions to steer through. That's hilarious, Graham. Oh my god! Yeah, so there you go. That's what's been happening in this house. Oh my god! <laughs> that's what this week's been like. Too funny. Oh, that's great. I'm super. I'm... Well, welcome to uh, minute fifty of the. Oh Smith Jesus! Really? Oh yeah, guys. Okay, so. Um... Uh, <laughs> Before we, we before we transition to actual that, talking about useful things, yes, we talked about conventions. That's like awesome. it's true, and and you mentioned Todd McFarlane. I want to mention for people who haven't, I believe that I believe that your Popverse, your very good Popverse uh, interview with McFarlane is not paywalled. So please, I don't, people, no, I don't go check that out. Yeah, because I think I send a link I, to I, it. I, I think I um, I think I told. I think I said this on the podcast, but maybe I didn't. Um, I, I I got the opportunity to talk to Tom McFarlane, and ahead of time, I was honestly kind of nervous because I saw Todd's San Diego panel, <laughs> and I was I and I've talked to I've interviewed Todd before in the past, actually in New York, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and when I interviewed him before and at, at the San Diego panel, like he was so on and he was so intense, and it was like a conversational equivalent of standing in a wind tunnel. Right. Right. It was just, a, it was a lot. Right. Um, and to give you an idea, when I did the interview in, in, I want to say it was 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. uh, I had a 15 minute slot and we talked for more than an hour. Cause mm-hmm. Todd just went and there was no way to stop him from a better way of putting it. Right. He, he just was going and I wow. could not even intercede. He was just off. And so I was nervous because I was like, wow, doing a Zoom call like that, it's going to be a whole thing. Right. And he was not on in that way at all when I talked mm-hmm. to him this time. He mm-hmm. was uh, subdued mm-hmm. and reflective. Like we talk about him quitting Spawn and becoming a philanthropist. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a weird, a good conversation, but genuinely not the conversation I expected. Right. Um. Oh, I should say, uh, I should because we've talked about Popverse a couple of times now. Um, two things: one, Popverse is uh, streaming a shit ton of New York Comic Con panels for free. Oh wow! Um, I think it's everything on the main stage, everything on Empire stage, and one of the other big stages um, are all being streamed for free during the show. Mm. And so, if you want to see panels and you're not there you can probably get them through Popvers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also they are trying a thing where you can get premium access for the length of the show, which also gives you access to like the Morrison interview and everything else that's previously been behind the paywall. Right. Right. Um, and it's cheap. Oh yeah. I'm not sure if it's a dollar or if I'm making that up. No. Wow. It's, it's cheap though. Hmm. Okay. Um, so anyone, anyone who's been curious about things like the Morrison interview or anything else that's been behind the paywall at Popvers, um, for the length of New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. um, do something called it's called like a show pass or something. Mm. Uh, but you should look into it because there is a cheap way of signing up for the duration of the show. The that end. sounds really that's, cool. That's, that's the end of my my sales pitch for my employer. Okay. And the very last con thing I'm going to say is the con tips that I mentioned way back when. I do not think that this was covered, but I do remember somehow that 
Todd McFarlane, the guy who was his PR person for the toy line back in the 90s, was asked for his best convention tip. And his tip, and I was going to pass it on to you, Graham, so that you can try it. His tip was you go up to the room and the first thing that you do in your hotel room is you put your you take off your shoes and socks, you put your feet in the toilet, and then you flush. And you basically refresh your feet by flushing them in the toilet. Because, of course, as he points out, the toilet has been sterilized. Okay, Go for it. I've never heard of that before, but I'm definitely going to try it just because that sounds fucking weird. <laughs> you stick your feet in the toilet and flush. Yeah, apparently. Apparently. Okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. That, like, okay. That's really genuinely weird. Everyone listening to this, uh, if you have the opportunity, just go to the toilet now and stick your feet in there. Well, I mean, you know, I think the idea is is that it's supposed to be like, you know, that they sterilize the toilet when they clean it and it's clean and it's got the sanitized for your protection kind of band on it. And then, you you know, you jam your feet down there. But, you know, don't don't do it if you haven't cleaned your toilet recently. Good Lord, no. Oh, God, no. No, that would be that would be unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, but not everyone. Okay, clean your toilet, then stick your feet in it and flush. And Graham delivers the killer quote for this episode that somehow is strangely emblematic, at least of our first hour. Uh... <laughs> What's really funny is, like, I, I'm not sure if I remember any single comic I read this week. Oh, really? And I know I've read some. I'm not yeah. sure I could remember any of them. Any of them? Any of them. Hmm. It's right. been a weird week. Well, give me a second. Give me a second, because I'm. I don't know why I'm on my. This is why is this like? I hold on. I seem to have closed the window that I wanted to read. Okay, so people, for those of you who want to know, I uh, read Fist of the North Star, book six, and Conan the Barbarian, basically issues eighty-seven through a hundred over this last week, and then chase that with a manga called Crossplay Love, Otaku, uh, sorry, Otaku and Punk, Volume 1. Conan is about, like, a big beefy dude who kills people. Fist of the North Star is about a big beefy dude who kills people. Crossplay Love is about uh, a punk and an otaku, each of whom cross-dress and are in love with one another, but don't know about the other's secret identity. So even though... I, I mean, the, amazing. Right? I mean, it it really is... It's... it's uh, I, I don't know. The, the weirdest part about it is, again, there's just that strange, like... It all feels strangely familiar. Like, I'm reading this book, and I realized part of it is um i'm trying to think if there was ever a comic that sort of caught the dynamic quite as well but do you remember how like the golden age green lantern alan scott and his nemesis was oh no 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 oh oh harlequin harlequin right and they were in love with one another but were also enemies. Like, I don't remember quite yes. how it worked out, but they were, like, co-workers who were secretly were, were in love and ad- didn't okay, realize... Were they, actually, were they actually in love with each other in the original comics, or was that not a Roy Thomas retcon? Oh, that was not a Roy Thomas retcon, because I remember reading those, like, in the 100-page giants with, like, the with like the classic Shelley Moldoff-style art. And stuff. I, I love that, then. 
Yeah, yeah. So, which was great, and but it but it kind of does have that kind of superhero thing going on. Like, I'm trying to remember if that was also how it worked with Batman and Kath Kane before they discovered each other's identities. Anyway, doesn't matter. But so the idea that I'm reading a series about two supposedly straight cross-dressing teenagers who you know are in love with the 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 cross-dressing version but actually hate the are, are sort of like nemeses in the same high school that they go to is um oh it's just it's just good fun it's just a good time Graham. that's what i have to say and i have, I have questions sure you said supposedly straight are they aware that the person they're in love with is no is uh, okay? So they think like I, I'm guessing both are male and they're dressing as women. That's right. They're both male dressing as women, and, and, and so they're they think that they're in love with a uh, biological woman. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in a way, it's not unlike um, uh, my beloved manga series. Uh, excuse me, dentist. It's touching me. Which is the story about? Again, like if you, I, 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 the name, the name, the name is if the name is one of those that you would come up with. But if we did my for manga, which we yeah. should do again, by the way. Oh, I agreed. I think I think I've got it on the books that when we do do our episode on the twenty second and Chloe's on, I'm going to do my for manga and hopefully hopefully two rounds of it because I've been storing up some stuff. Um, yeah. So and in fact, it's kind of a bummer that. Uh, crossplay love otaku and punk is not going to be one that I can float because you'll know that it's legit. Um, unless I was Cross smart enough. Crossplay punk. Crossplay love colon. Cross love. It sounds yeah. like eat, pray, love, which is the thing that's, that's <laughs> honestly throwing me off. <laughs> it's true. Cross. You know, they do put a space in it. Maybe they are sort of um, uh, uh riffing on that in a way that i didn't realize but yeah sort of in the same way that excuse me uh dentist it's touching me in which the guy the two protagonists are both uh the sons of powerful rival yakuza families one of which uh dresses up as a female dentist and the other of which is in love with the female dentist and we don't think knows no does know um similarly yeah crossplay love like i said is pretty um we'll, we'll see if it gets uh quote unquote more gay as it goes on but um yeah it good good times and also kind of a nice little transition i think away from all the Krom and mitra and fist of the north star of course is at volume six uh as you may recall, Graham, it's kind of that post-apocalyptic um, Bruce Lee meets the Road Warrior style action manga that involves um, our our hero basically being kind of a master of pressure points such that they can touch people and the people can like, you know, more or less walk five steps and explode. By volume six, you're just, it's, it's gotten it really is at the level of outright camp like you you actually have a bad guy fall across the spikes of an iron maiden and you actually see him with like the spikes protruding through his like head and face and body and him going ow 
you know, or like people being cut, you know, with special blows such that, you know, because by volume six, they've fallen in half enough times that now they're like falling in half, like from the back to the front. But you know what I mean? So they kind of like fall like a salami sandwich kind of thing. Um, oh, Lord. Yeah, just, just, just amazingly good stuff. I, I started reading, um, a couple of new manga-ish type things for me. The Game Devil, which just uh, started on Manga Plus, which is um, may end up being kind of interesting. We will see about a guy who wants to be a uh, manga artist and uh, is super talented, but nobody basically wants to make his manga um, which turns out to be the manga that he's been working on ever since childhood that he developed to cheer up a child uh, who had been bullied and they had become friends. Many years later, there's basically this incredibly successful video game uh, that um, has an unstoppable boss villain called the Game Devil who manages to defeat everyone and uh, and it has managed to come into the real world, bring all of its various monsters in with them. And we discover that the designer of the game is in fact the kid who um, our hero had befriended. And so essentially they're both working on. Exactly. Of course they are. And so the manga creator actually ends up summoning his manga hero, the black Knight, to help him, try and fight and take down the game devil kind of fun kind of cheesy really what's really nice is it's a mix of conventionally drawn graphics and then hopefully he'll be able to keep this up like 8-bit graphics for the invading video game creatures coming into the world and and really lovely video game designs turning the tables on the seatmate killer uh is something that one of the quote-unquote originals that Azuki has been running, by which I mean that, you know, the quotes, I guess, are both around the idea that the idea is probably not that original, but also in the sense of it's being, had been uh, in Japan and is being translated uh, and here, which is about um, a kid in a high school, uh, I think he's a high school, uh, basically there is the legendary seatmate killer who is this girl who apparently seems to uh, take delight in making her the person sitting next to her fall wildly in love with her and uh, confess their love to her, at which point she brutally dumps them. So she oh is... At, he, so the basically the world's most oblivious kid ends up sitting next to her and um, it's sort she of... She falls a, in love with him. A battle of wits. Yeah, exactly. Well, and what you find out is is that she really wasn't... Because he, he flat out confronts her. And although he doesn't believe her when she insists that she's never tried to make anyone fall in love with her, we find out that later, in fact, that it's true. That she had been so deeply insecure about being a shy, withering seatmate that she decided to up her charm and has accidentally made all these people fall in love with her. And she's not interested in them but she might be interested in this guy. So uh, slightly less appalling than that is... Slightly uh, less appalling. <laughs> slightly. My Dear slightly. Detective. 
No, no, no. Actually, my dear detective Mitsuko's case files is actually much less appalling because it is it's a it's a it's a good old fashioned romp set in like 1800s Japan in which uh, a woman is a private detective for an agency, not unlike the Pinkertons. And because she is a woman, it, it's I've only read the first two chapters. We'll see how it goes, but the first two chapters are very much of the like. Um, she is a woman who is who faces tremendous amounts of of uh, prejudice because she's a woman, and she ends up working um, case and solving cases that other people can solve because they generally involve women who are being victimized and men who don't basically know enough about women to actually know how to investigate. Um, yeah, charming stuff, charming stuff. I gotta say so. Um, there's a few other things that I'll 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 bug I, you with. I'm I'm, I'm yes. really curious how the Conans are for real. Oh well, I'm glad you asked. Conan, I gotta say, I, I, uh, I am, hmm, I'm very into it. I'm super glad that I read it. Uh, unsurprisingly, when you like revisit stuff like this, it sometimes feels like less than the sum of its parts. One of the things that I think is interesting to me is uh that i realized this time around in part only through in a way reading the letters materials and things like that it, uh, columns is um conan had of course all these stories that had been written by robert e howard and then the character more or less got licensed and then uh, essentially uh when the paperbacks were published in the 60s they were filled out with a lot of material by writers like Lynn Carter and L. Sprague de Camp and uh, Bjorn Yesborg. Um I'm sure I mangled that name. And more or less taking notes for stories that Howard had unfinished by the time of his death um, and, and, and more or less fleshed them out. And so Howard had really written out like a ridiculous amount of stuff. And it also written stories like the very second Conan story ever written it Conan is a king you know and then like his third story is back to him being like a young thief or whatever so you know Conan had this huge mythology mythos laid out which I knew and of course you see it referenced and blabbity blabbed in the opening blurbs and you get the maps and the things and every once in a while there's a there's a backup feature or whatever. But what I didn't get and of course I should have, because Roy Thomas is Roy Thomas, the part of this thing that Thomas does, as you know, is he's a super continuity nerd. So Yes. He his, his one thing that's kind of interesting about Conan, these first hundred issues, is Thomas had more or less wanted to set the book in real time. So essentially a year in the book of the comic is supposed to represent more or less a year of Conan's life. When he hooks up with Belit, the pirate queen, it's in a Howard story that like Howard more or less has their mentions their introduction and because it's kind of a pulp story jumps ahead to a indeterminate period of time um later so that he can get to the awesome death sequence in which belief dies and but also you know saves conan from beyond the grave and all this sort of stuff 
because the people more or less figured that the chronology was such that Robert E. Howard had meant for them to be together for like three years, Thomas is like, okay, I'm going to do three years of Conan stories with um, Conan and Belit being together. Yeah. Right. And so, and one of the things that's really funny in reading the ancillary materials is he's like, yeah, you know, Belit, He's like, in Howard's original stories, Belit is a terrible person. Like, when she, you basically, like, the one I, like story she's in. Like, a terrible person? Or she's yeah, just she, a terrible person? Well, I mean, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's well, I don't know if it's necessarily intentional. I I think so. Like, again, it's this deal of, like, one of one of the early incidents is Belit is the a, a pirate queen of the black coast and she is very much in the uh the pulp the pretty racist pulp trope of the white woman who's worshipped as a goddess by a bunch of sure. uh, superstitious men of color in the story the story in which she actually dies this the the queen of the black coast which is more or less her introduction and her farewell um she brings Conan is her first mate and lover, and they come to this island with the pirate crew. And at one point, there is the the pirate crew and Conan are trying to pull the lid off this enormous sacrificial altar because they they believe there is treasure underneath. Belit like summons Conan to the side because she's like, oh, I think I see a serpent. Please help me. He goes and helps her. All of her crew members, like, die in a violent trap. And then she's like, yeah, I kind of thought that might happen, but I I wanted to spare you. And, you know, as Thomas points out, this is pretty reprehensible behavior because these are people who have served under her for, like, years, and she treats, like, literally disposable trash. So... He has to make her kind of brutal and selfish and mean for a good chunk of the story so that she's still recognizably believed. But then he has to soften her. And then finally, in issue 100, he more or less also has her get sort of ensorcelled by the gems uh, within such that they've made her kind of bloodthirsty, greedy and callous. Um, so, So Thomas does all this weird stuff. And it's kind of interesting. I'm like... Like basically, in the course of it, it, I just it says something to me a lot about Roy Thomas that he spent three years writing this character, who's basically you know the love of Conan's life, um, and makes it very much to be a point to make sure that she is someone that is not necessarily too likable, and in fact is relatively consistent on running the letters and the letters pages, in which most of the people are like. I kind of hate Belit. She seems like a terrible person. And he's like, oh, true believers, you know, it's it's all split. Yep. But basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then three years later being like, yeah, she was horrible. And uh, that was kind of a chore. But, you know, but, you know, you got to do it because because I'm true to the continuity. Anyway, so the first year or two of the Conan Belit stories are kind of like Thomas doing his sort of like, oh, this will be fun. Like, how did Conan get the name Amra that he was, you know, the the black lion of the coast? What if there was another Amra and it was a Tarzan analog? And so you've got Conan fighting Tarzan and then you've got his various ideas. And then his sort of time starts to run out a little bit. He's like, oh, shit, let me. Okay, Christ, I got to come up with this. Some of these some of the 
stories start coming faster and faster and they don't two or three of them are these weird things where Thomas like you're like why did nothing happen in that story except six different characters were introduced and it's because one of those situations where Thomas is like yeah I got the rights to do this story and then this other story we weren't allowed like El Sprague de Camp wasn't going to license his stories to us so I went about writing the story as if his story wasn't in continuity and then we got the rights to it and then I had conflicts between his story and the way I'd written my story so I had to come up with an intervening story that explains the differences and similar stuff of that ilk the 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 best best slash worst slash most Roy Thomasy of this is in fact he sets up a whole subplot in a three-part story running in the in the run-up to issue 100 where Conan and Belit fight a dude who has more or less inherited the powers to talk to animals and can command them and because this is a story that is alluded to in a sequence that happens to Conan when he's a king 30 years later, Thomas goes about setting all the groundwork for the story that's going to happen in 30 years, including reasons for why the villain has no less than like two and a half names. So on the one hand, it was like, I'm like, wow, like reading a lot of this stuff, I was like, it's amazing kind of how much reading it realizing as a kid there's a lot of comics that i read i don't want to say necessarily critically but i i would say that sort of fired my imagination and i thought about even when they weren't happening and i wondered in the classic like oh can i get a no prize kind of situation and yeah, yeah. the conan stuff i just kind of like read uncritically like i just swallowed every issue up and it was like whatever happened like conan goes to his orthodontist great give me the next issue conan has like a bunion and this is going to come back to haunt him in like conan the hobbled like seven volumes in in robert e howard's uh uh Conan stories. I'm like, terrific. Can't get enough of it. And rereading it, I was alternately torn between, A, if someone was really smart, th I think they should um, like license Conan to do like a Game of Thrones style story and work kind of off of how heavily Roy Thomas was uh, continuity pimping because cause it's all kind of flat as crap. But the structure is all there, that you have characters. I mean, because Thomas is super excited by some of this stuff, he has the wizard Thoth, Thoth Ammon be mentioned as early as, like, Conan issue 15, and then he doesn't show up until issue, like, 72. And so there's stuff about that that's kind of you're like i it, kind of love it and kind of hate it well yeah i wouldn't say that i hate it it's more like i kind of love it and i'm and i'm kind of bored by it or i don't know i guess what i realize as is that thing when you revisit comics is is that so much of what you're bringing to it is a combination of um uh imagination and naivete of like, oh, but this all means something bigger 
you know, and isn't just the equivalent of, you know, sort of Roy Thomas's continuity cross fetish, which again, I, there's times where then that can come in handy, but particularly more so, I think weirdly here in Conan, where I think if I didn't know Thomas or back when I was a kid, maybe I read this stuff and it evoked all these different ideas and concepts and things. And then I just, I don't know, forgot about all that shit as opposed to, you know, when he's like 20, 30 issues into infinity incorporated. And his whole thing is how to explain the continuity problems by the Christmas cover of all fun comics from 1943. You know what I mean? Like, that's just... At that point, it's kind of like, I know a little too much about this to know that I shouldn't care about it. You know what I mean? Whereas, <laughs> like, back then, I'm like, oh, this is really important. And I'm like, eh... Reading it now, I'm like, eh... But also, I kind of have that thing of like, oh, kind of like Game of Thrones, although not really, enough of that framework is there that you can have characters that are introduced that are going to get killed off or going to exit the strip and then come back 30 issues later and, and be cooler, you know? Um, and it, and it's, and it's also kind of interesting because of course, Thomas being Thomas is more than happy to come back and explain years later what he was thinking. And so, the epic collections just sort of throw the um, the the actual issues with you at you, including the, the letters columns and what have you. But the one omnibus that I turned around and bought when I realized that they were never going to complete Thomas's run in the epic collections, um, it's got a large. As you know, it's very much in the style of Thomas in, in, in like Alter Ego magazine, where he's like, "Okay, let me run down uh, my yeah. thoughts and what happened." Let me settle some scores. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Although I don't know, he he never really seems to settle some scores as much in in the Marvel material. I mean, not nearly to the level that someone like Don McGregor and the Black Panther did, where he was like, Marvel were a bunch of racists who fucking hated me, and I fucking hated them, and if it wasn't for, like, people like Rich Buckler and Billy Graham, these stories wouldn't exist, and fuck you, Jerry Conway. Anyway, thanks for having well, me on the show. Them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Roy Thomas is just, like, chipper as all hell, even, even when it's things like, well, you know, it was tough, because originally issue 100 was supposed to be a big two-parter for Belit's death scene, so it was going to be a 99 and 100, but then Stan okayed it. Although, there actually, you know what, I take it back. There was a great sequence where, because one of the closing sequences is Belit's whole... Uh, raison d'etre for like 30 or 40 issues is the fact that she is the daughter of a deposed king that was killed by his, you know, bastardly brother. And so she wants to take back the crown. And part of the reason why she's being a pirate on the black coast is so that she can basically work together the riches to, to fund her, you know, takeover. She finally gets, she finally does do this in issue 93 or 94 and more or less no sooner than being crowned queen is like, eh, or is about to be crowned queen. She's like, eh, I don't want it. And she actually passes it off to the only other remaining member of the bloodline who's like, I don't want it either. But she's like, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted the <laughs> well, revenge. I wanted, I wanted to be less. queen. But 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and what was interesting is, is Roy Thomas sort of talks about the fact that he was um, basically he he took the editor in chief position from like Stan, when Stanley finally offered it to him, he took it in part because he wanted it to be offered to him. And he's like, yeah. And then once I took it like three months later, I turned it down and moved to Los Angeles. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to deal I with that. Noise actually want, yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting that he's like, and that's where Belit's motivation comes from in this story. I'm like, huh? Interesting. Very interesting. Roy Thomas is an interesting dude. Let me tell you. I got to tell you, the other thing I love about Roy Thomas, and I know you didn't ask, uh, nor does anyone want to hear this, is the <laughs> complicated relationship he must have had in the 70s with Jack Kirby. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, because of the House Roy stuff? Because of the House Roy stuff. Like, and not just the House Roy stuff, in a way. Like, he does the House Roy stuff. Then, like, Kirby does House Roy, which is a brutal takedown of Stan Lee and a much more, somehow even more brutal takedown of Roy Thomas as House Roy. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's arguably worse for, yeah. for House yeah. Roy. Because like, House Roy it, is just a sniveling toady. And Jack Kirby, who rarely has uh, an unkind word I, to say I mean, about anyone. Say, yeah. Yeah. So, he... Kirby comes back to Marvel um where Roy Thomas uh is I think at this point was had 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 his few months as as an editor in chief and moved on. But so Roy Thomas comes up with is editing what if and he basically is like, I have a great idea for a what if story and I want Jack Kirby to write it and draw it. And he's like, Jack, I want you to do this story. What oh, if the, the Marvel bullpen had gained the powers of the Fantastic Four? And Jack Kirby's like, okay, great. And he's like, it's, you know, Thomas is like, I've got, it's, it's all going to be perfect. Like, Stanley's Mr. Fantastic. You're going to be the thing. Flo Steinberg's going to be the Invisible Woman. And I'm going to be the Human Torch. And Jack Kirby's like, you know what? Saul Brodsky's going to be the Human Torch. And Roy Thomas is like, Okay, so we got a good story out of it. And <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, just the idea that that Roy Thomas is, like, offering Jack Kirby work and is like, hey, let's let's do this story. It'll be fun and put me in here as the Human Torch. And Jack Kirby's like, nope, no, no, you're not going to be the Human Torch. You're not going to be part of my fucking story that you have actually solicited from me. And Roy Thomas, bless his heart, is like, Okay, do it. Go to town. And then, of course, being Roy Thomas, even like says, like, hey, I hope you enjoy this story. I thought of it, pitched it to Jack Kirby, and even said, like, hey, how about you make me be the Human Torch? And he said, no, enjoy, true believers. I'm like, fucking hell, Roy Thomas. What? I don't know how to process your brain. I, I love that about both those men so much. Do you read Alter Ego? Uh, not, I tend not to. I tend not to. Because I, I find Alter that... Ego is a fascinating magazine. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know, Alter Ego is one of the Tomorrow's magazines. It's Roy Thomas essentially holding court on the history of comics the Roy Thomas way. He doesn't yeah. write all of it. it um, but he writes a significant chunk of it. But he's mm -hmm. the editor and a number of people. And it's, it's 
for want of a better way of putting it, it focuses predominantly Golden Age, maybe a little bit of Silver Age, and every now and again, it'll talk about like stuff that Thomas was directly involved in right. after that. All right, Bronze Age onwards. Yes. Um, and it is... Uh, it's a it's an odd read sometimes mm-hmm. because you do get the idea that like Roy is very vehemently like you know the history of the American comic book industry is really important and it's important to get rights uh, and I was there for some of it so I'm going to try and keep it alive while also like a little bit of his own fandom dies at times. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, it's, it's an odd experience to, to read. It's a good magazine, um, especially if you are interested in those periods of history, because right. it is anal as shit. Right. Like, they will really go for it if you're genuinely into that stuff. They, like, there was one issue that was the main uh, article was um, the history of. Shit, I can't remember his name, like Major Wheeler Nelson or something. One wow. of the like first publishers of uh, All American, not even National. Oh yeah, right, right. right. I think it was yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wheeler Nicholson, maybe. Um, yeah. But but that's the focus, and it's not about his comics career. It's about his yeah. life. Yeah. And you're like, wow, you've got to really be dedicated into like a history of of the comics industry to, to read this. But if you are, I mean, it goes there with you. Do you know what I mean? There is nothing too nerdy for that magazine. Well, one of the things that I, I do love about alter ego, like I haven't picked it up, but I do respect the idea that, (laughs) that alter ego was Roy Thomas's fanzine before he worked at. Yes. DC and Marvel, like he mm-hmm. did fanzine mm-hmm. stuff with Jerry Bales, and then yeah, way back in like the fifties, exactly. Yeah. And so part of his network, how he met people, you know, essentially before there was the internet, there was fanzines, and so the fact that Thomas goes on has a long storied career in comics, and then and then more or less comes back to writing a fan, his own fanzine. You know what I mean? Edits it, writes it, does the stuff, and covers more or less exactly the same nerdy topics at the same nerdy depths that he did back when he was running it in the 50s and 60s is, again, like, just some sort of strange tribute to the guy. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of level of continuity. Like, not only did, not only did Roy Thomas come back and do two runs on Conan the Barbarian, he did two runs on his own fucking fanzine, for Christ's sakes. And, yeah. And, and that's... Like, Alter Ego yeah. is continuing, and it's been, like, 20 years at this point, if not longer. Yeah, right? Yeah, it's been like, I've for been quite the, a while. I've been in the States for 20 years at this point, and he was doing it before he moved to the States. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really impressive. Yeah, it really is. Not least, it of, really is. Not least of all because Troy uh, Thompson sold his shit, man. He, well, he is. He's like 80 some odd years old, you know? And he's, I, he's producing a magazine. I, I don't think it's monthly, but it's like maybe eight issues a year. Yeah, yeah, right? You know, and he's like, still. Good for him. Right? I, I have absolutely no complaints. He is still. He's, yeah, he's A, not young, but he's still 
he's still sharp. He's still absolutely lucid. He's still even readable. The thing that's very strange about Roy Thomas, and again, his um, because you get to read him in, as uh, the introductory pieces in the omnibus, which I don't even know if they're quote unquote contemporary. I think they are. They're maybe just a few years old. But then, of course, there's the Roy Thomas who is writing uh at you know as they did um in sort of a refers to himself in the third person but while replying doing the blurbs and in, in the letters column and the replies in the letters column and i'm like it's it's about as it's more or less at the same quality which either is you know damning with faint praise for thomas's quality of of blurbsmanship back then but i mean it's just he is he is a he is a readable guy who loves his fucking minutia like one of the mm-hmm. things they reprint in this omnibus is him talking about the origins of belig and how they designed her but also again as he said like the fact he's like yeah, this character is totally unlikable but you know i had to i had to make her semi less hateful to make her make a reason for why Conan was actually in love with her, you know, um, it's just, it's just wild. The, the differences between that. So yeah, that guy's kind of, he is, he's, he is steady. I don't know. It's one of those things where I haven't read any of his comics work in the last five or six years to know if he done comics work in the last five or six years. I don't know if it's the last five or six, right? Like, I don't know. This is one of those like jump to the Wikipedia pages, you know, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I would like, I mean, I'm sure he's probably done something for like one of the Marvel anniversaries, right? Well, I mean, that's it. Like you want to think that, you know, or it's that weird deal where it's like they had him writing, um, Right, yeah, maybe. Uh, he was ghostwriting the Amazing Spider-Man newspaper strip through 2019. Wow, wow, right? So um, he did an issue of Captain America and the Invaders in 2019. Jesus, okay, uh, and, and... two parts did a two-part Savage sort of Conan story with Alan Davis that year as well. Okay, and that's he in also 2019? wrote a ten. He also Good wrote Lord. a ten-page. Uh, King size Conan story in uh, 2020. Good. Oh shit! He also wrote two issues of X Men Legends this year. What? Okay. Yep. For people who are wondering, he was born in November of 1940. So Roy Thomas he's is like going to be 81 years old. Yeah, he's turning 82 next month. Uh, and he, yeah. he's... And this year, he wrote two issues of Wolverine for X-Men Legends. Shit! Dude, I gotta hunt those up. I mean, even if just on Marvel Unlimited. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it says... It doesn't say when they were published. It says the first two issues of a new ongoing series of X-Men Legends. So that would have been X-Men Legends Volume 2, I guess. I don't know if they're yeah. out yet, but yeah, there you go. Is that crazy or what? So again, anyway, there you have that it, is, ladies I mean, that's and gentlemen. Genuinely insane, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And insane I would and... say, I you know, I wish Marvel did the um, Conan stuff for Marvel Unlimited, but of course they've lost license, so they won't be. Yeah, no, they maybe kept all show, of that maybe it'll stuff show up on, Yeah, maybe it'll show up on um, Hoopla when Titan starts publishing it. Yeah, you know, I'm very curious to see what 
how what and how Titan is is going to handle that. But at the same time, I also wasn't going to take any chances. So, you know, there was a re- that recent Conan sale, and it, it's very stupid because I think I have managed in a few cases. I bought a couple of the issues on sale at ninety nine cents, and then turned around and bought the Epic Collection, and then they might follow under the first two or that, three issues yeah. of this omnibus. So that that feels very you though. It it, uh, it double does. or triple dipping, especially in different formats digitally, is not a new thing for you. Yeah, which is a shame because it's something that I've tried to maneuver away from, and I think I've been very successful. So I'm a, I'm way I'm much more sheepish about it than I should be. On the other hand, part of me is like, eh, you know, like I basically you, you're, sat you, down. You today got the and, yeah yeah you, you got the omnibus for the other issues. So yeah. Yeah, basically, I've crossover, got some crossover. Yeah, first hundred and fifteen issues of of Conan sitting there on the iPad, and I've basically read my way through uh, issues fifty two through a hundred by now. Um, so I just got to circle back and and read issues one through reread issues one through fifty two. So I kind, kind of, of love that. That 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 stuff's never worked for me. The Conan um, stuff, it, yeah. Yeah, honestly, like I have a trouble with fantasy, which I think you know, um, and it's a shame. Like I feel there's probably some great material in there, but it's never, <laughs> it's never. Well, I great is in the eye of the beholder, right? But you know, I say that as someone who like I, one of the things I do know I read this week was um the 1980s Thing series, which is now entirely Marvel Unlimited. Oh right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and like those are bad. Like those are objectively bad comics, but they are. <laughs> But they're bad in such a way that if you like certain sort of eras of Marvel, they're really fun. Right. Right. You know, like they're they they are, even for that era of Marvel, again, objectively bad comics. Yeah, it's not good. But, a lot of them what's so disappointing. But 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 again, they they do evoke a certain nostalgia. They evoke a certain sort of right. joy in their shitness. There's a great scene, um so you may or may not remember. Like, Thing leaves Fantastic Four because of, yes. like, all the, the Secret Wars things. Uh, did you read the Thing series after that, at the time? Uh, the Thing series when he stays on the Beyonder's planet? No, 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 no. After, after he comes, comes back, back and it becomes a wrestler and yeah, all yeah, that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. stuff. When he comes back to Earth. Not really, no. So, so uh, Byrne stops writing the book and Mike Carlin takes over as writer. Yeah. And is somewhat forced to uh, come up with reasons to keep Ben away from the team. Because, like, it doesn't really make sense, right? Right. The the Ben is, is not going to go back to them. Even with yeah. the, like, I'm pissed at, at Johnny thing. And there's a great moment in one of the issues where you remember in the FF, the Baxter building gets launched into space by Doom. Yes. Right? So Ben has left New York City and is in the middle of the country. And at the end of the issue, looks over and he sees the Baxter building flying overhead. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, what? Maybe I should do something about that. Nah, Human Torch's a dick. And that's like the end of the issue. (laughs) And there's something great about like the, you know, let's try and keep continuity together element, but also the why is the Baxter building so big if he's in the middle of the fucking country? 
Like, did the Baxter Building fly across America before going into space? Because <laughs> I was it just went into space. Apparently, it just it went. Yeah, it's it's just what, that or like maybe the Baxter Building is far bigger than anyone ever imagined. Ever imagined? Like you can not only see it, you know, from space, you can see it in space, and you can see it in space in a way that you can actually make out the little windows and everything. Yeah, yeah it's it's really like. It, 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 there's some great shit comics in there. Um, <laughs> he joins the Thunder Riders, which is the new name they gave to Team America. Oh, uh, right. He does one issue. Because this is where Sharon Ventura comes from, from, from FF. Because Sharon is the spitting image of Tariana, the alien he imagined into existence on the Beyonders planet. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. So, he, so he sees her. Mm-hmm. You or other, he's a billboard of her, and then he chases after her, and she's with the Thunder Riders. And so he joins the Thunder Riders. There's an issue of him auditioning to join the Thunder Riders to basically be close to her. Wow. And it ends with her being like, he should join the team as my replacement. And the last panel is basically Ben Grimm being like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and the next issue said, be like, you guys have got to leave. Like it's the most weirdly schizophrenic comic. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's so bad uh, and yet so good. If that makes sense, it it is one of those because it was the replacement of Marvel Two and One, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And Marvel Two and One is a joy to reread, right? Because right. it is, and I mean this as a compliment. It's shameless. Mm-hmm. It's like we know why you're here. You're here because you like Ben Grimm, but you want a team team up book. So however we're going to have to make this team up happen, we're going to make it happen. Right. You know, so it's like, here I am. I'm in my bath. Oh, no. A monster's attacked me. But the monster's really looking for Daredevil. Right. You know, or, you know, here I am. I'm making a pizza. I dropped the pizza. What's that? I dropped the pizza because it's too hot. The monster must be looking for the human torch. And, (laughs) and, you know, they are real. Like, it's really shitty. It's like it doesn't. it, It basically is a comic that looks at you. Square in the eyes and goes, you don't care about the reason either. Let's not pretend <laughs> of it. You don't care, we don't care. Let's just, like, you just want to see these two characters interact. You know, well, and I right. respect the shit out of that. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think... I but, think, but, but then you get right. to the thing series, and there's no, there's no, um, yeah. there's no co-star, right? right? Yeah. So you're left with the alternative, which is literally just like, we don't fucking know what we're doing with them either. Well, yeah. He's so, I mean, the Thunder Riders. He's making a film. No, he's not making a film. Fuck it. He's a wrestler. Sure, sure. He's a wrestler. Whatever. Right. Right. No, I. I think. I think one of the things that's sort of a, a bummer about the thing, in some ways, is how much. And I think, arguably, it's changed. But there was kind of a good stride there because I think both Marvel Team Up and Marvel Two and One hit a period where after the first 20 or 30 issues of shamelessness, and then those issues would come back, but you would get people who would get on the book and be like, okay, I want to figure out a way to tell a team-up story that makes sense. And the really fun ones, which is sort of like, I have a larger story and I'm going to thread it through with the thing and each different phase is going to have him getting involved with a different hero right so yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. project pegasus or or the stuff that bill mantlow or chris claremont were doing in marvel team up those things are, are pretty great but i think weirdly the thing that is 
frustrating about by the time Byrne is like, okay, I'm going to do a book about the thing, you know, it kind of weirdly feels like he's like, the thing's not really that interesting if he doesn't have anyone to play off against, I guess. You know what I mean? And then, and that, the fact that it somehow never really seemed to occur to anyone until the book was underway, and then it was like, okay, well, we just, we just got to give him people to bounce off against. How about... Uh, the world's most Lockjaw. boring person. Yeah, right? Like, Lockjaw, Lockjaw is one of the better ones. Let's face it, you know? Like, so, I think that's kind of... It's it's one of those weird... There's all those characters in, in Marvel that are, like, great, but never seem to manage to carry their own book. And, and, and in a way, because it takes a long time to find a hook with them. Like, half their hook is how poorly they play with others in a team book. And so you put them in a, in their own book and then they're like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess he's going to start a fight with his accountant. This issue, you know? So, and it, it's weird. Cause I also always feel like that is a, um, I, I don't know. It just, it feels like it's such a strange Marvel problem. And yet it's, it's odd how much, perhaps for better or for worse, Wolverine, who's a character that you would have expected to have exactly that same sort of problem, more or less doesn't, probably because they set him up with the infinitely mysterious past, and so therefore they had a story gimmick that they could just run with over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like, don't know. It's, it's, funny. it's funny because I, I think... The thing works, and I love the thing. Like the thing's probably my favorite oh, I know you do. character. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like the thing doesn't work as a sole character ever. Right, right. The thing works as a comedic foil. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right, and and in part works as a comedic foil because he has the tragic backstory. Right, but he is a comedic foil. That's that's mm-hmm. where he is best. Right, um, and you know even the the Walter Mosley series that just finished on Marvel Unlimited, I think, proves that. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's fine, it's good, mm-hmm. but it, I, I, throughout the entire thing, I was like, I wish he was playing off someone else. Well, you know? and right, and Mosley sets up characters, and I think this is the thing. Mosley, and again, like in the thing, the weird part is the thing works better almost in a Marvel two in one context of bouncing off established characters rather than bouncing off original characters, you know, cause mostly no, yeah. sets, you know, like there are characters for the thing to bounce off of in the thing. And yet for whatever reason, you're just like, yeah, but I don't, maybe because there is no frisson of like, I don't know who these characters are until they've been introduced in the course of this story. And therefore the thing bouncing off of them has no, has, um, has, has, it doesn't work, right? Because right. It's just like it. It's like uh, I don't know if you remember, and I I only really remember this because I'm just rereading these comics really recently. Do you remember a period of uh, Marvel Two and One where they introduced quote unquote the kid? There's this like young kid who's got a, a I think it's a luck power, um, and he runs into Ben when Ben's in jail, and then he hangs around the book for like six months. Wow. No. Um, and he's like he's a fine enough character. He's fun, but like you know, clearly not memorable, right? Right. But 
he on paper he should be a great foil against Ben because he is mm-hmm. cynical where Ben is optimistic. He right. like doesn't have Ben's altruism, but also clearly wants to, mm-hmm. right? And there should be some fun interplay, and there's attempts at it. But you ultimately don't care as a reader because you're like, who's this shit? Right. Like right. I want to see him play off against Captain America, and this you run into the same problem with right. with the characters in in, in the Mosley series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to see him play off the characters where you know because part of the fun is you can imagine the interplay, I guess. Well, I think one of the things, I think you're right. I think one of the things that's really fun about the thing is, is he tends to take the seriousness out of any character, I guess, you know what I mean? And, or he'll occasionally run into another character that is also a wisecracker. And then the thing can turn, sort of serious and stern like you don't necessarily always know what you're going to get with ben but for the most part you do and like you said it is a little bit of the comedic shtick and so the like you said imagining the interplay and then seeing the interplay happen is actually fun i was kind of thinking about how gerber who was the original writer of marvel 2 and 1 i guess you know real early on one of his first stories is he also introduces a new character, which is, uh, shit becomes the Aquarian. Aquarian? Yeah. Yeah, But, but whatever his name is before he's the Aquarian, which is weird because that's the one that I know him and I'm blocking one, one dar maybe. I don't know, but is basically, you know, it's, it's Gerber being really funny because it's Superman. But it's like if Superman had basically been rocketed to Earth, you know, as a baby, but didn't show up until he was adult. So he's basically, you know, just a a, a Superman child. And there's there's something that I think maybe works from that because Ben basically having to be babysitter to a super powered alien. And of course, what happens is is that's just sort of the background they're still crossing over with other guys because Wondar is not big enough to carry on his own but at least I think there's something to the idea of you know Ben is put in the role of protector which he does in a lot of these other stories such as Mosley's story but there's also an extra level of I guess superhero cheekishness by making him be you know Superman Superman baby, I guess, that he's having to take mm-hmm. care of, which I think is, is a smarter move than sort of like the, you know, the, the, the Terminator two move of, he's like, got to take care of a wise cracking kid who, you know, is, has his own powers, but you know, is like kind of annoying, you know, like I, I feel like that sort of, I I feel like that's part of the thing about Terminator 2 that we don't really talk about is John Connor is like totally awesome if you're like 10 or 11 years old and watching the movie as you recounted to us last time, but also kind of like really annoying. annoying. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you're not. Yeah. yeah. If 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 you're if you're uh, an adult, John Connor is uh if if you do not project yourself into him being like, you know, Wow, I wish I had had this experience when I was a kid. John yeah. Connor has the potential, shall we say, to be 
the most annoying character. <laughs> Absolutely. And in, and in fact, I think one of the things that, again, because Jim Cam- James Cameron is a genius, he then pivots and brings back Sarah Connor, who's a fucking mess, and you don't haven't seen for half the movie and you're like oh shit and she's completely different and then she's got conflicts and then basically there's more stuff going on there so that you just don't have it's just you get you get the terminator and the kid story but you get more than that thank god so so thank god is all i have to say and that's part of why that's why I want, I think James Cameron is a genius. Although whether or not he's a genius who can pull off multiple Avatar movies, nobody seems to think, including myself. Well, he, he, here's the thing: we're going to get them anyway. It all depends right? on whether or not we want them. I I see people. I've seen so many people uh, spend far too much time saying that they don't care about Avatar for it to be true. If that makes right. sense. Yeah. That you know that Avatar two at least is going to be hit. Just because people are going to hate watch it. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. This is the thing. Like, I just, for the most part, every once in a while, Cameron hits a dead spot. But for the most part, the more people um, think that he's going to fail, it's, you know, like, I remember them saying that about Titanic. I remember them saying it about Avatar. Whether or not he will actually be able to to bring it on home for Avatar two and or more, like there's just a lot of stuff that I, I don't um, think I don't think there's material there for four avatars. Yeah, like, right. Four, four four avatars. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. Who knows? That said, like I watched Avatar again a couple of years ago. Within uh-huh. the last couple of years, then. I, right. In part because, again, 10-year-olds was like, what's this? Um, right. And Avatar is better than you think. Oh, see, and that's it. When I went and saw Avatar, like, kind of in the theater, one of the things that I think is really smart about... Cameron's, like, a really smart dude. And so part of me is, like... Avatar, like you said, is... It's it's not as bad as you think. And I think part of the things that, that sticks about Avatar is, is that... Um, Cameron goes into like kind of a different place than what you expect, sort of like Titanic. Like the, to me, the thing that's really smart is, is he's like, you know what I'm doing like, like basically back in the day where people used to go to the movie theater to watch Disney nature films, like, like people used to like watching nature documentaries in the movie theater. And I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do that about an alien world. And I, and that was just a really, it worked. Like I remember people be going to Avatar like two or three times and they, I don't even think they could tell you what the story was. You know what I mean? But like, they really liked that feeling of seeing and inhabiting a, a different space that didn't really exist in that way. And so part of me is like, he can't really be thinking that he's going to bring that for for avatars two through four right so part of me is is. well i mean and maybe he is i don't know maybe that's it maybe he's just like i don't know i think as a general rule of thumb like movies that are multiple movies that are filmed and made back to back like the only time i would say that's worked has been the lord of the rings movies and you had really solid 
source material to bounce off of in that case, you know, but so many of the other ones, I mean, you know, whether it's the back to the future movies or the matrix movies, or I think it's really hard to find movies where you're just like, Oh, I'm going to make them all. If it wasn't for the fact that he's been working on them for decades, like, but part of me has trouble being like, Oh yeah. So he's really nailed down the story by now. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I, it just, it seems far more likely that, that he it keeps getting himself turned around into this thing of like, oh shit, no, there's a new way that we, you know, ba- you know, basically he's like that guy who it like every time there's a new upgrade in the technology, he's like, oh wait, 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 we we can we can we can redo this, guys. Like they just dropped a new graphic, you know shader it's it's the story of someone downloading a video game for the last 20 years it just sort of seems yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliantly ironic that it's happening to james cameron so but on the other hand part of me is like is he going to fucking do like what we thought that star wars was going to do which is essentially tell the story of more or less um you know the american west if the colonialists lost, you know, like, I don't know, that might be interesting, maybe, but, um, but, but we'll just have to see. Like, all I'm saying is, is I kind of hope that, that we get to see those, those little blue dudes celebrate life day. Um, oh my God. And (laughs) Graham, I'm sorry. Speaking of which I have to say, um, I'm trying to think where Edie and I were, uh, today, Shit, it was somewhere we were shopping. Oh, that's right. We were actually, weirdly enough, we were in a hardware store that the the hardware store people are huge Star Wars nerds. Um, and so there was a bunch of like Star Wars plush buddies. And so there was a Chewbacca that was... Um, the Life Day Chewbacca in- with these kids? It would be great. No, no, it it was Chewbacca, but he was like in clear plastic and bound up like kind of super tight because it was like an expanda thing plushie, basically. And so there's Chewbacca's face with like the, you know, but sort of the cute plushie version of Chewbacca, but with like clear plastic, like pulled back against his face. And Edie was like, oh, my God, that looks horrible i'm like what you don't like chewbacca she's like he kind of looks like he's being suffocated you know like in those horrible movies and i'm like oh my god if this is autoerotic asphyxiation chewbacca i would totally buy that for all my friends anyway so yes speaking of life day graham autoerotic asphyxiation chewbacca toys i think should be a thing let me tell you it's a little alarming if you think about it but it feels right. Also, how great would it have been to found Chewbacca dead of autoerotic asphyxiation on the Millennium Falcon? Like, I'm kind of like, that is just a scene I want to see in a Star Wars movie so bad. So bad. Anyway, sorry, but as long as we got there. Oh, man. We went a journey, and it was not a journey that anyone wanted to go to. I know. Nobody but Jeff. Nobody. Nobody but Van Solo turning the corner of the Millennium Falcon, and there's Chewbacca dead on the floor. But like, that thing wrapped 
I have one note. I was going to say, I think we should wrap it up for coming out in the two-hour mark. <laughs> He's clearly proving this. <laughs> wrap it up in a erotic fixation. <laughs> poor choice oh, of words, Graham. Shit. Just a poor choice of words. Oh. <laughs> one note. Uh, thanks for listening. Jeff's lost his fucking mind. He's going to be showing us this episode up if Jeff stops crying. Or... He's going to be showing us this up at wewillpodcast.com. Uh, there's a Twitter oh, account at wewillpodcast. Jeff is a at Lazy Bastard. Uh, L-A-Z by B-A-S-T-I-D. I'm at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E. I've tried it again because I'm distracted by Jeff just going, ah, in the background, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Um, and we are patrons for the podcast, so if Jeff has regained his <sighs> equilibrium, he I think will be so. able to tell you what that looks like. Yes, I will. It, um, wait, what equilibrium looks like? Because that is a movie no, that no, introduced no, gun no, fu no, to the movie no, lexicon. No, no. What the Patreon is all about, Jeff. Focus. Okay. Because equilibrium <laughs> stars Christian Focus. Bale and I think Tate Focus. Diggs. Focus. All right. Anyway, so mm, God equilibrium. Anyway, uh, listeners, you're great. Uh, many of you will never listen to us again, and I understand why. <laughs> oh no, he's off again. <laughs> it's just two back. <laughs> With like his little bandolier belt. It's so oh, wrong, Graham. So it's so wrong. I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> anyway, so we really appreciate you. We especially appreciate the people on Patreon who uh, support us, not just with with their their time in their ears, and hopefully a lack of moral. <laughs> condemnation though it'd be really understandable at this point but also a little bit of their hard-earned dosh which um hmm, i i was gonna say something that i thank god i can actually now think of that without starting to laugh again anyway we're hugely grateful we also want to give a special shout out tempest audrey queen of the galaxy for her continuing support of this podcast and this uh maybe not my sanity but certainly most of the other stuff, uh, except for that. Graham? I mean, really, it all just fucking went to pieces there, let's be perfectly honest. Uh, we're going to be back not next week, because I'm going to be in New York losing my fucking minds. Probably sounding not unlike Jeff just two seconds ago. Um, <laughs> but we're going to be back in two weeks. Then it's going to be a drug. We're talking about Judge Dredd, Restricted Case Files, Volume 4. And then the following week, we're doing uh, the second wait what of the month which somehow feels also it's like seven years away but yeah, yeah that wait what is also going to feature chloe we're going to be talking about halloween stuff we're going to be talking about horror yeah. movies yes. jeff might be trying to convince us that we should do um excuse me while i cough excuse me um jeff is going to maybe try and convince us to do uh, some manga he has made up or not um, yes. Yeah, we're back in two weeks with the rock and three weeks with the way what. Uh, Jeff, do you have any last words before I say bye? <laughs> How dare you, crap! How dare you! <laughs> We're almost free and clear! <laughs> oh, oh, 
I'm not gonna say which two. 